If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Jeremiah 37? We're going to be in two chapters today, and it's Jeremiah 37 that leads in then to Jeremiah 38 and his circumstances that he's going to be walking through. This is our last message in the Jeremiah series. I'll do my best today to kind of bring his story to a close and just bring this series to a close, but recognizing that there's still another like 15 chapters in this book from where I'm preaching today. And so there's a lot more content that can be covered, but today we're going to talk through these two chapters. And um, I want to just give us a little bit of a setup. It was a couple weeks ago I introduced a few different kings that were leading the nation of Judah, and one of them was King Zedekiah, and he was put in place because the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar did not like the one who was in power, so he removed that one and put Zedekiah in power, and he was a vassal king, meaning he answered to the Babylonian king. And while all that's going on, there's a Babylonian army that had surrounded the city of Jerusalem, and they were sieging this city, basically getting ready to squeeze everything they could out of that, including the people. It was going to get ugly, and it was going to be very tragic for the people who are sticking around in Jerusalem. And in the midst of that, if you can remember, Jeremiah was telling people, you should go to Babylon because it's God's will that you are in captivity for 70 years because of your disobedience. There's nothing here for you. And if you stay here, it's only going to get worse. Yet there were people who did not listen to that. And so here they are in Jerusalem, the Babylonian army surrounding this city, making things very tight for them. And in the midst of that, one of the tactics of war when they would surround a city like that is they would cut off the food supply that would come in or out of the city. And so a famine would begin to pick up And now you're starting to get to a point where the goal of this is if the people would just surrender, then we can just do what we want. Maybe using a little less force in the midst of that. Well, Egypt had heard about this. And against God's desires, Judah had actually cozied up to Egypt, wanting them to support them. And in a situation like this, Egypt actually comes to the rescue. And the Babylonian army had heard about this, so they decided we're going to just split for just a bit, and then we'll come back, you know, and continue the siege. So Egypt comes in, and Babylonians leave, and that's where we pick up here in Jeremiah 37, uh, starting in verse 11. But before we read, this is God's word, and we just need to settle our hearts to get ready to receive his word. So would you pray with me uh, just to ask the Lord's blessing upon this time. Father, I thank you for this time here in your word. I believe wholeheartedly, God, that you speak through your word. You do supernatural things through your word. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would minister to our hearts. There's a variety of circumstances right now gathered around your word, and I pray, Lord, that you would dial in to each of those minister to us right now and help us not to just receive or listen to these things but to actually have life application and heart transformation 
that is something that is done by your spirit. And we ask, Lord, that you would move powerfully upon this time. In Christ's name, amen. All right, starting here in verse 11 from Jeremiah 37. It says, When the Babylonian army left Jerusalem because of Pharaoh's approaching army, Jeremiah started to leave the city on his way to the territory of Benjamin to claim his share of the property among his relatives there. Now, I just want to pause for a second because back in Jeremiah 32, there's a very interesting moment where Jeremiah is told by God to purchase property from his family. This property would have been right outside of Jerusalem. But you just think about the significance of Jeremiah's words. You're going to be in captivity for 70 years, but God is going to restore us and bring us back. Jeremiah put his money where his mouth was. I know God's going to bring us back. I'm going to buy this land from my family member, even though right now it's not looking so good. So he's going to buy this land, and here we see a moment here. It's quite possible that he had to go settle some business here with verse 12. So he's trying to leave. Verse 13, but as he was walking through the Benjamin gate, a sentry arrested him and said, you are defecting to the Babylonians. The sentry making the arrest was Irijah, son of Shelemiah, grandson of Hananiah. Now, context Jeremiah had predicted that Hananiah would die. And now you have the grandson who's probably got a little bit of a thing against Jeremiah, sees him leaving the city. We're going to arrest this guy. Well, Jeremiah tries to defend himself. He says, that's not true. He says, I had no intention of doing such a thing. But Irijah wouldn't listen, and he took Jeremiah before the officials. And they were furious with Jeremiah and had him flogged and imprisoned in the house of Jonathan, the secretary, secretary of state to the king. Jonathan's house had been converted into a prison, and Jeremiah was put into a dungeon cell where he remained for many days. Later, King Zedekiah secretly requested that Jeremiah come to the palace where the king asked him, do you have any messages from the Lord? I find this kind of humorous, but he goes, yes, I do. <laughs> You're going to be defeated by the king of Babylon. Just full of good news, isn't he? You know, what's interesting is it seems like every time Jeremiah talked to Zedekiah with a message from the Lord, it wasn't maybe what Zedekiah wanted to hear. What I find interesting, though, is even though that was something that happened on a consistent basis, Zedekiah would continue to ask for Jeremiah. I think that's interesting. Sometimes I know there's things we don't necessarily want to hear, but when we know it's truth, I think we ask for it. Deep down inside of us, we want to know the truth. Even if we're not going to respond favorably to it. So he says, you're going to be defeated by the king of Babylon. Then Jeremiah asked the king, he goes, what crime have I committed? Remember, he's in prison in Jonathan's house. He goes, what have I done against you or your attendants or the people that I should be imprisoned like this? 
Where are your prophets now who told you that the king of Babylon would not attack you or this land? He said, listen, my lord, the king, I beg you, don't send me back to the dungeon in the house of Jonathan, the secretary, for I will die there. So King Zedekiah commanded that Jeremiah not be returned to the dungeon. Instead, he was imprisoned in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace. The king also commanded that Jeremiah be given a loaf of fresh bread every day as long as there were any left in the city. So Jeremiah was put in the palace prison. Now the title of this message is From Palace to Pit. So we've established now that he's at the palace, maybe not in the most luxurious of spaces. This is a prison, but he is being treated somewhat humanely and given a ration of food for whatever the city may have left. We now transition to Jeremiah 38, where things don't exactly get better for Jeremiah. Give me grace as I navigate these names. But it says, Now Shephatiah, son of Matan, Gedaliah, son of Pasher, Jehuchel, son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, son of Milkijah, heard what Jeremiah had been telling the people. He had been saying, This is what the Lord says. Everyone who stays in Jerusalem will die from war, famine, or disease, but those who surrender to the Babylonians will live. Their reward will be life. They will live. The Lord also says the city of Jerusalem will certainly be handed over to the army of the king of Babylon who will capture it. So these officials went to the king and they said, Sir, this man must die. That kind of talk will undermine the morale of the few fighting men that we have left, as well as that of all the people. This man is a traitor. Just to get an idea how crazy this probably was, imagine if I went to Washington, D.C., and I had a press conference, and I said, I want you all to understand what's going to happen to our country. A foreign country is going to come in, and they're going to oppress us, and they're going to take over our country. Don't fight them. God's judgment on us is that we're to be captured, taken into captivity, and taken over to their country. Imagine going over the ocean to wherever that country might be. How popular would my ministry be if I was doing that? I'm telling you right now, this is just the way it is. There'd be people that would shut the TV off. That man's crazy. I'm guessing there would probably be some disgruntled people within our congregation. Maybe some meetings to throw me out. What's this crazy man talking about? This is the message Jeremiah came with. And the people of that country were like, you got to get this guy out of here. You'd think I'm a traitor if I went all the way out to D.C. to proclaim that message to the people. And so here they are getting upset with Jeremiah, and they're ready to take him out. Not just out of the city, but like out. Like, let's kill the man. 
Well, King Zedekiah caves into the pressure. He says, all right, do as you like. I can't stop you. To which I'm like, you're the king. He gave in to the pressures of the people. Didn't do what was right. Verse 6, the officials took Jeremiah from his cell and they lowered him by ropes into an empty cistern in the prison yard. And it belonged to Melchijah, a member of the royal family. Now there was no water in the cistern, but there was a thick layer of mud at the bottom, and Jeremiah sank down into it. But Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, an important court official, heard that Jeremiah was in the cistern. And at that time, the king was holding court at the Benjamin gate, so Ebed-Melech rushed from the palace to speak with him. My lord the king, he said, these men have done a very evil thing in putting Jeremiah the prophet into the cistern. He will soon die of hunger, for almost all the bread in the city is gone. So the king told Ebed-Melech, take 30 of my men with you, and pull Jeremiah out of the cistern before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him and went to a room in the palace beneath the treasury where he found some old rags and discarded clothing, and he carried these to the cistern and lowered them to Jeremiah on a rope. And Ebed-Melech called down to Jeremiah. He said, put these rags under your armpits to protect you from the ropes. And then when Jeremiah was ready, they pulled him out. So Jeremiah was returned to the courtyard of the guard, the palace prison, where he remained. And that's where we're going to stop with our reading. Variety of things to unpack here. I've got just a few things for us today. First off, my question to you is, can you imagine being thrown into a dark cistern? That'd be quite a thing looking up to the hole in the ground and thinking there's no way out of this thing. There's a picture on the screen for you to be able to gather what that might have been like. This dark and damp place landing in this muck and mire sinking with each move as you try to navigate what you're in. Just like quicksand almost. I can think back to a moment in my childhood where our family had a garden on our acreage, and I was exploring. And I decided, again, I'm little, I don't know my reasons for this, but let's walk through the muddy garden. And my feet began to sink to the point where I could not move. I was stuck. And I was probably 150 feet from the house with my entire family inside the house. And I just sat outside. Help! Help! Now, my family did eventually come. They do care about me. <laughs> but it took other individuals to come out and help me get out. And if I remember correctly, one of them came out to help, and they got stuck in the process of getting me unstuck. A lot of you farmers would know the seriousness of that wet mud and getting things stuck. It's almost like a concrete to a certain degree. So here Jeremiah is now stuck in the mud, looking up to the only way out, knowing that he can't get out on his own. And this might be it. 
The other thing is, is who knows what's crawling around inside that place. Cisterns were sometimes used as prisons because they were nearly impossible to escape from. And putting Jeremiah in a cistern pretty much means they left this man to die. And while one could say that Jeremiah was left in this place to die all alone, you and I know that he was not alone. Who's in that cistern with him? God. The scriptures say that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. God spoke that before Jeremiah. God's word says that he commands his angels concerning us to guard us wherever we go. That cistern is filled with angels. And the Bible says that God intercedes for us on our behalf. In our darkest hours, Satan wants us to focus on our isolation. You are alone. Nobody cares about you. You should dwell on the mud that you're sinking in. You should fixate on the hopelessness and this reoccurring thought that I am never going to get out of this mess. The story doesn't end there, though. God was interceding, and interceding through an unlikely person. Perhaps you know of someone named Ebed Melech. I don't. But here we're introduced to somebody who has that name, this Ethiopian, and he was from a clan that had a terrible reputation. These were cruel people that he was a part of. And yet somehow the grace of God was at work in his life. And he feared God enough that when he heard about the circumstance that Jeremiah was in, the scripture says he rushed to the king. This king's servant knew there was an injustice and he wanted to do something about it. Philippians 2 verse 4 says, Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Was there any risk in Ebed-Melech coming to the king and asking if he could help Jeremiah? Absolutely. Is there any risk for us as followers of Christ to stand up for things and for people that are being wrongly treated. There is risk involved with that. But we can look at a guy like this and be encouraged that God will be with those who are trying to help others. Galatians 6 verse 2 says to bear one another's burdens and you fulfill the law of Christ when you do so. And I believe that there's a grace on people who desire to help others in the name of Jesus. In the next chapter, in Jeremiah 39, the Lord gives a message to Ebed-Melech. 
He says, I will do everything to this city that I have threatened. I'll send disaster, not prosperity, and you will see its destruction. But I will rescue you from those you fear so much. God had Ebed-Melech's back when Ebed-Melech had Jeremiah's back. You can trust in the God who wants you to do the right thing. He says, because you trusted me, I'll give you your life as a reward. I will rescue you and keep you safe. So a little evaluation for us in this story. Are we like Jonathan or are we like Ebed-Melech? If we compare those two, Jonathan allowed his house to be used as a prison for a man of God. Did he have any conviction with that? I don't know. But we do know that his house was used as a dungeon for one of God's prophets. Do we participate in the enemy's work? Or do we participate in the work of God? And I want you to consider this. The enemy's work is holding people captive. God's work is setting people free. Are you a freedom fighter? Or are you a prison guard? Are you ebed Melech? Or are you Jonathan? Considering the title of this message, From Palace to Pit, let's look at Jeremiah's prison circumstances that he was in. He was shifted to the king's palace prison, given a decent ration of food as a prisoner. And so he's maybe in a little bit more of a cozy environment than Jonathan's you know, second basement, if you will. And then all of a sudden it shifts and his circumstances get worse and he's thrown into this pit. When circumstances continue to go south, it'd be easy to just say, I give up. More on Jeremiah's response to these things in a moment. But I want to emphasize that you can see in Jeremiah's circumstances, he went from a palace to a pit. I want to highlight another palace to pit, and that's Zedekiah's fate. Jeremiah had told him several times, just give in to the Babylonians. And at one point, Zedekiah is like, I'm too scared. If I do that, they may take my life. And Jeremiah's like, hey, they're going to take it if you stay. And the fear that Zedekiah had. There comes a point when the Babylonian army comes. They do take him captive. And they force him to watch his family get annihilated. And for the sake of our little kids here in the room, they wound his eyes and they take him as prisoner where he eventually dies. You talk about palace to pit. Look, guys, when God's trying to speak into our life, 
Don't let fear keep you from responding positively to God's call. If you do not respond to God's call, it will lead to destruction. The last palace to pit, I think, is the gospel. Can you see that? Jesus leaving heaven to come to this earth to pull us out of the pit? I mean, you can see the gospel in this story. You can see the gospel through Jeremiah's circumstances. You see the gospel through Ebed-Melech. And I want to just ask us all today, when you consider all these different people that we're learning more about, my question to us is, who are you right now? Are you a Jonathan? This is a pretty heavy comment, but I feel led to say it. If you're not helping to set people free, then you're helping keep people captive. Are you Zedekiah? You're too scared to listen to the Lord and what he's asking you to do. There's risk involved in following Jesus wholeheartedly, and, but you just keep putting it off. Now, someday maybe I'll be ready for that. But then all of a sudden, destruction comes to your doorstep. Are you an Ebed Melech? And throughout the week, you've just been helping pull people out of the pit. If that's been you, awesome. That's great. You've been taking risks for the kingdom and for the right thing to do. Are you like Jeremiah? You're trying to live faithfully for the Lord, but your circumstances just continue to go south. Do you identify with any of these people? If you feel like you're in a pit, consider the words of David in Psalm 69 and also Psalm 40. He says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me, from the deep waters. Do not let the floodwaters engulf me, or the depths swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. And I opened with Psalm 40, where David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. How many of you can say that at some point in your life you've waited for the Lord to do something. Can you say it like David? I waited patiently for the Lord. He says, He turned to me, and God heard my cry, and He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and He set my feet on the rock. 
and he gave me a firm place to stand. And he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. I just want to give a word of encouragement here today that if you are in the pit, you keep calling out to God. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He will come to your rescue. He will establish you. He will set your feet on the rock, and you can give him praise. And guess what? People around you will see that, and it's a testimony that God is faithful to his word. You know, Jeremiah's future, once they get him out of the pit, he's then carried off to Egypt as a prisoner. He still carried out his ministry, though, and many people believe that he died from being stoned to death, rocks being thrown at you, because people don't like the fact that you believe in God and that you speak truth. But even in the midst of Jeremiah's circumstances, it wasn't like they were rosy, but he still knew how to praise God and give him thanks and recognize that he is faithful. The book of Jeremiah looked forward to this destruction. He was prophetically speaking that. Babylonian army is going to come. They're going to siege the place, and we're going to be taken into captivity, and then it begins to happen, and then it finishes with a number of letters to all these other countries that Jeremiah is speaking prophetically to. And then there's the book called Lamentations, and it's Jeremiah looking back at what took place. And you think about everything that Jeremiah went through to pen these words. He says it's because of the Lord's love that we're not consumed. His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. And he says, great is the faithfulness of God. He could look back even on all that destruction, even on that heartache. I mean, when he's writing that, is he like, yeah, even in the pit. Perhaps you can think back to moments in your own life and you can just simply say these three words, God is faithful. Max Lucado draws attention to the Apostle Paul as he penned his final words in the bowels of a Roman prison. He was chained to a guard within earshot of his executioner and hearing those footsteps. What was that like when he passed that cell to another one? Did Paul think, this is it? It's over. Not from Paul's perspective. In 2 Timothy 4, he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Guess what, guys? Paul was executed. But then he was ushered into the heavenly throne room. He says he will take me safely to his heavenly kingdom. We have nothing to fear. God will guide us Paul chose to trust his heavenly Father, and we can too. Folks, would you pray with me as I close? 
Lord, I thank you for this passage here today, and I pray that it would be encouraging to each of us, recognizing, Lord, that you are faithful no matter what we walk through. Help us to be people who partner with you in setting people free. Help us, even when it means risk, to step into the pit with somebody, to be a comfort and a support, and lead them to Jesus who can pull them out of the pit. As you consider your current circumstances, I'm curious how many people that are listening right now feel as if they are right now in a pit. With every head bowed and eye closed, would you just humbly acknowledge that for me? Just as a pastor's heart for you, I just want to recognize who it is that's going through that. Just simply lift your hand. Thank you. Anyone else feel like you're in a pit? Thank you. I want to give you these words. Wait patiently. The Lord hears you. Let him put a new song of praise on your lips. And may others see God at work through you. May God give you an Ebed Melech, someone who can support you. And may God lift you out of the pit and set your feet on the rock. Lord, if there's someone listening right now that they consider their spiritual life your word is very clear that all of us are sinners. We're in this pit of sin, and the only way out is by calling on the name of Jesus Christ and asking for help, asking for him to save us. And if you've not called on the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and for him to pull you out of the pit of destruction, then I invite you to pray with me right now to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Simply pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, I'm reaching out to you today for the forgiveness of my sin. Please rescue me. Please be my Savior and be the Lord of my life. You call the shots for me and help me to trust you. Today I receive you by grace through faith. Thank you for this gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.